Good morning. Thanksgiving sludge is wearing off, yes? As I was getting ready, and Brooks mentioned to speak, and I was like, oh, this is going to be great. I can dust off something I've worked on in the past eight years and polish it up and, and get it real good to go. And God led me a totally different direction. So this one is, is fresh, so the search committee doesn't know what, what's going to come out of this one right here. Um, but, but I'm excited. I've enjoyed spending time in God's Word, working through this process of the message that He's given me for uh, today. This past week has been Thanksgiving. I was very blessed to be able to go back to my parents' house, and this is the first time I've been at their house for Thanksgiving um, since college, probably, for me. We've seen them over Thanksgiving. We've met at other places. But this was the first time I've gone back to North Myrtle Beach for Thanksgiving. And it was neat being able to think back on all the things that I experienced in my life. I was able to um, just relax, which was nice. That's rare in my life and my schedule. Um, but it was really a blessing for sure. And thinking back on my health and my family um, and the things that God has brought me through, the calling that he's placed on my life, I can honestly say the thing that I'm most thankful for is the fact that God, in his grace and in his loving kindness, sent his son to die for me. And that was the first and foremost thing. Above all else, I have so much to be thankful for. I'm such a blessed man, but the most important thing for me is the fact that, that Jesus died for me. And so that was what I had to be thankful for. And as I was at home and thinking through things and kind of just working through parts of this message, God really just worked on my heart to say, you know what, Eric, you, you had that for the longest time and you just missed it. You were appearing to be under grace all along. You were never under grace. And I'd shared some of this with you guys when I came in June and kind of introduced myself to the congregation before we came full time. And, and so I'm going to continue a little bit about my story, about who I am, and kind of share with you guys. I grew up in church. I shared that earlier. Very um, awesome family, great upbringing. Both my parents love God, demonstrate God in our home. It's something that's not just spoken of. It's demonstrated in everything that they do. And, and I had a great example in that. I was always at church when there was choir, RAs, youth functions, trips. If kids could go, my name was on the list, and I was out the door, and that's just how it was. That was what was expected. It was a great thing, though. I enjoyed growing up in that church. Actually, um, we went home for Thanksgiving, they, my parents gave me a book. The church that I grew up in celebrated their 125th anniversary um, this past weekend. So that was kind of neat to be able to see that and my aspects of that and how my life was modeled by that. Um, so I, was, I grew up in church, I was involved in that. I grew up in scouting program as well, for those of you who didn't know that. Started in Cub Scouts, worked my way all the way through and achieved my Eagle rank in high school. I'm proud of, of that achievement and, and the time that I spent with that as well. Um, in the scouting program, there's a program called God and Country. And if you're familiar with that, it, it's for scouts, weeblos, and, and boy scouts as well. And it's a very intense program, to be totally honest. You actually work through your beliefs by your denomination. You, you partner up with a pastor, um, and you go through a lot of questions and a lot of things you have to memorize and, and be able to um, recite back. And it was very intimidating being in the office just one-on-one with the pastor and having to recite passages and, and books and, and all these other things about our faith and our denomination. And it was a challenge. But at the same time, I worked through all those, and, and I got all the cool little badges and pins and went through all the ceremonies and was able to celebrate those things in my life. All along, though, I was still missing it. I, I was still living by example, not necessarily by, by truly by the faith that I had. I was following my parents' example and those that were over me and those that taught me. I was following their example, but not following the example of Jesus. And that was what, a, a big difference. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. Um, had my parents not been followers of Christ, my childhood would have been totally different. I'm, I'm convinced of that fully. So for those of you parents that are working of uh, trying to model the Christ-centered life at home, and, and you fail. Keep plugging along. I promise you, even in your failures, your children will learn. A lot of times they learn more from your failures and how you cope and handle with that than they do the victories that God allows you to have. So if you're one of those parents, please, 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 please do not give up. 
Um, that is me as a student pastor, me as a father, me as a, a husband, me as a believer. Please do not give up. Continue in that fight. Continue in that faith. But that's not the main point of the message today. That's just the public service announcement for the beginning. <laughs> the point of the message tonight um, is that we need to step up and own our own faith. Um, that's ultimately the, the statement I want you to walk away with today is step up and own it. And, and we're going to look at the book of Acts, chapter 20. Um, that, pain, that point in my life came to me when I was uh, in high school, actually, and I shared some of this as well. Uh, I was a lifeguard at a country club in North Myrtle Beach, and I'd worked there for three years, three summers, um, and did tennis work and, and lifeguarding as well, and it was a blast. It was a really cush job, to be totally honest. Um, it wasn't highly attended because it was a, kind of an older community. It was a golf course, and they happened to have a fitness facility and a banquet hall, and then they happened to have a pool kind of stuck off the back. So basically, I got paid minimum wage to sit out and suntan throughout the summer. It was a great job. Uh, who am I kidding? Um, <laughs> and over the course of this summer, we were able to work with uh, some of the Campus Crusade students. They came in, and they worked within the buffet hall. They worked, some of them as guards, some of them as tennis instructors, that kind of stuff. And so for me, it was an awesome job. But over the course of the years, I got in, involved myself with these Campus Crusaders. And this particular year, um, we had two guards that were working with me. And, and we just asked each other good questions, because like I said, it wasn't busy by any stretch. We had like one or two little swim camps, and other than that, it was just a, a cush job. Um, and for the summer, we just discussed things of our faith. And what I realized is that I had all the head answers, and I could answer the Sunday school responses back to them, but I was totally missing the faith that they had. There was something different about these two students that had given up their summers to go and work and, and toil in a place that they had never been than me. And I wanted to know what that difference was. And so by some chance, they invited me to one of their Tuesday night meetings. And now these meetings weren't intended to be kind of an evangelistic event by any stretch. It was just when they were able to meet together as a fellowship of, of students and kind of re-nourish and kind of rejuvenate their, their days throughout the week because they've been serving a lot throughout the week. And, and really the topic that the guy was discussing that night had nothing to do with the passage that God took me to in Acts. As a matter of fact, it wasn't even the book of Acts that we were in. But God allowed me in my wandering mind to focus in on this passage in Acts 20. And in it I realized that at that time he, he let me see that the example that my parents were giving, which was an amazing example and a very good example, I couldn't rely on that example to be the sole depth of my faith. That I had to step up and own my faith individually. And I had to follow the perfect example, which is modeled through Jesus Christ. Now, as I was trying to understand how to get this across, an object lesson kind of came into my head. And for those of you that are, are pastor's kids or no pastor's kids, it's a tough life being a pastor's kid because you always have your business aired out in front of the church as illustrations. And my, parent, my kids will probably hate me after this. But my children, about to give you some good information, as awesome as kids as they are, they hate taking baths. Can't stand it. It is the biggest fight in our entire household, beyond homework, beyond cleaning the rooms. The biggest fight that we have in our house is taking a bath. I'm like, seriously? Just take a bath. You stink. But for some reason, they don't want to deal with that. And I'm sure they're all going to be embarrassed and come and yell at me after service, but that's just part of the deal. Having a pastor as a dad. Um, And so as I was thinking about this concept of owning your faith and not just relying on something else, this our kids were complaining again about baths. And I was like, you know what? What if mom and I took showers and we put on deodorant and we cloned and perfumed up and we smelled phenomenal, looked great, everything in place, and you had been outside rolling in the leaves? How about if I just said, you know what? We showered up, we cleaned up. You guys are good. You don't have to do anything. Our, our great smell and cleanliness will cover all the stink and, and leaf particles that are stuck on you. My kids would be like, yes, this is the best thing ever. Like, this is the highlight of their month if they don't have to take a bath for some reason. But the reality of it is you and I know they're still going to smell just as bad as they did when they walked in from the leaf pile as 
it has nothing to do with our, our cleanliness. It's got to be their thing. And I was like, you know, that's got a spiritual context as well. That if we rely on our parents or our grandparents or whoever it is that models faith in our lives to be our faith, then we're going to be just like my kids. And, and you're going to have this, it's not yours. You're going to stink, basically. And so to avoid that stink, you've got to step up and own your faith. It's got to be something that you do. I realized that I had to step up and take my own faith and my own growth. It was my responsibility. My parents' example, as good as it was, is not enough. My parents' desire and their rules and their, their guidance in my life was not enough to save me. It had to be my moment, my thing. The passage we're going to look at is in the book of Acts, chapter 20. Um, the book of Acts is, is kind of a record of the early church. Uh, as Christianity begins to grow and spread and, and bump into the world, there's a lot of dealings that they have in Acts that we still face today because, honestly, the world, a lot of the hard issues that were in Scripture are still the hard issues that we deal with today. So we as a church can learn a lot from the book of Acts. Um, we're going to start in, in chapter 20. Paul's speaking to the elders in Ephesus here. And we're going to read this first part together. Starting in verse 18, it says, And when they came to him, he said to them, and he is Paul, says, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink away from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is sharing about his time in Ephesus, about the ministry that he had. Obviously, Paul had some issues with others. Uh, he talks about the, the trials and the temptations and the tests and all these kind of things. Paul was very open about his sharing of the gospel. It says in scripture that he did it in public and he did it in home to home. So he did it everywhere. And it wasn't just to a select group. It was to Jews. It was to Gentiles. It was to everyone. And as Paul was openly sharing the gospel of Jesus and this idea of repentance and forgiveness, people got an issue with that. And so it sees the plots that they have here. People got in his face. And I love the wording. That's why I chose this particular passage to let you guys see today. Um, and this particular translation, it says that he didn't shy away or shrink away. Some other translations say he, he didn't hesitate giving you what was profitable. But scripture says that he didn't shrink. There's something kind of macho sounding like Paul basically stood toe-to-toe, face-to-face with these guys that were throwing things in his face and being rude and being just an absolute stumbling block. And he had no problem being bold and upfront with them. Paul owned his faith. And he expected those that he taught to do the exact same kind of thing. If you think about it, if you don't own something and trials and temptations and tribulations come, it's easy to walk away from it. Would you agree with that? Whether it's in relationships or business situations or whatever it is, spiritually as well. If you don't own something and someone gives you grief about it, you're like, oh, I don't know, that's not mine. Relationships. To work through relationships, it takes work. The same thing's true in our spirituality. We've got to make sure that we own it. Otherwise, when temptations come, when, when things get rough, it's easy to step away. I grew up in a pretty spiritually safe place. North Myrtle Beach wasn't a big hot spot of heretics and other things. But in it, even when people questioned what I believed, because I didn't own my faith at that point in my life, it was easy for me just to kind of be quiet. It's not that I failed necessarily, but I definitely didn't step up like I needed to. I wasn't as bold as God had called me to be. I did shrink away. Just like Paul said, he didn't. I did. And I realized it was something different, that I had to own it. I had to go past just where I was sitting at. I realized that my reputation and my pride were more important to me than ownership of my own faith. And that was a huge issue. I had to get past that. Paul continues writing to the elders here in the next little bit about what's coming in his future in the Holy Spirit. We'll read that. Starting in verse 22, it says, Now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me. 
except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and inflictions await me. That's a cheery outlook, isn't it? That's rough. Paul knows the Holy Spirit has given him the wisdom to understand that it is going to get worse. You're going to have imprisonment, you're going to have afflictions, you're going to have problem after problem after problem. But again, Paul, in the same mindset, in the same context, says, I'm not shrinking away. I'm not backing down. This is something God has called me to. We get into verse 24, and I love this passage. Verse 24, listen carefully. It says, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel and the grace of God. That was Paul's mission. That was his main thing. Regardless of what was going on, regardless of the afflictions that he was about to face, this was the important part. I don't account my life for any value. I account it as zero. It's, it's of no worth to me if I'm unable to finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. And what I want you to understand is you see that word ministry and some of you are like, well, that's what Paul was made to do. Paul was, Paul was a pastor. He was a teacher, evangelist. That was his thing. Paul was a tent maker. That was his thing. God had called him to be something more than that, and that was the ministry that he was given. All of you guys have a thing that you do, but you also have a calling that God has put in your life. So please understand, this doesn't, if you're not in full-time ministry, this verse still applies, right? This is something God is still calling you to do, and you should still have this priority, ultimate priority, like Paul did, that if it's not what God has given you the task of doing, then you're failing. And what I realized in my life at this point in time is I was living a life where I was successful because of the rules and the things that my parents had put in place, and I was successful because God had given me blessings. And God was kind of like the icing on top of my cake. (laughs) How sad is that, that God was the icing on top of my cake? What I realized throughout this passage and looking at this in the verse that we're going to get to in just a second is that God couldn't be just the icing. God had to be the entirety of it. He had to be the foundation, the meat, the potatoes, all of it. The entirety of my life had to be God, and that's what Paul was getting at. That is when you have stepped up and officially owned the faith that you have. I realized that my worth was based on others and their opinion of me more so than what God had, had called me to. And I was failing miserably in that area of my life. God's got to be your everything if you're truly going to follow him. And that's the point I realized that my parents' good faith and the way they modeled it was just simply not enough. That I had to step up and I had to own it. Paul goes on to warn the elders that they wouldn't see him again. And this again was given to him through the Holy Spirit, information that he received from the Holy Spirit. And then we get to the good verse, and this is the one I want us to focus on for today. And it kind of tripped me up when I read it the first time, and it was that summer that I read it. Like I said, we had no business in the book of Acts, but God had led me there, and this is the passage that I looked at. Acts twenty twenty six. Therefore I testify to you that this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink away from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. What is Paul saying there? That he's innocent of the blood of those that he's speaking to? What Paul is saying is, is, is your responsibility. I have not shrunk away. I have not downplayed the gospel. I have not watered it down. I have not backed away from toughness. Instead, I've stood up and I've stood strong. And now it's on your head and on your shoulders and in your hands, your salvation. And for me, that was the moment when God said, Eric, your parents have done an amazing job. And the pastors that I've put in your life have done an amazing job of speaking into your life the gospel of Christ. But up to this point, you have not owned it. Why not? And it just absolutely rocked my world. Paul was saying here that the eternal future of those in Ephesus was in their own hands. He's innocent of their blood. He had shared every important detail, and the decision to be saved or lost was in their hands, just like it was with me as well. 
I could have kept living this comfortable life where I was successful in the things that God had put me in and living by my parents' rules, which kept me out of most of trouble in my life, thank goodness. But I would have totally missed out on the plan that God had for my life. Instead, I needed to make this decision to own it and to move forward into a dangerous place. Look at Paul. Look at the afflictions that he faced. It wasn't easy. It wasn't comfortable. It was tough. And that's the kind of life that I was wanting at that point in time. So why was Paul so concerned that the early believers step up and own their faith? Why was it such an issue that he wanted to make sure with such a shocking statement? It's basically your blood's on your hands. It's up to you what you do with what I've told you. Why was it so important to him? And if you keep going in Scripture, if you read a little bit further, you understand that Paul had seen what happened when spiritual leaders leave a church and other people can have a chance to kind of mingle in and throw some doubt and some question in there. And if people don't really own their faith in those situations, it's easy for those people to fall away. They can get caught up with the shiny new theology or, or whatever that has the best curb appeal is what people will gravitate towards. And Paul didn't want that to happen. He understood if you don't own your faith before I leave, there's a good chance you're going to be pulled away. And that just sickened him. Remember earlier he stated that if, if the cross is lost in his life, then, then it's useless. And he wanted to make sure that the cross continued even after he left because he knew he was going to be gone. Scripture said that. That the if the people in Ephesus didn't own their faith, they would crumble when he was taken away to Jerusalem. We need to kind of evaluate our own spiritual lives. In my life, when I had the teaching of my parents and the teaching of good pastors, it was easy to stand, or so I thought. But then when I got to college, things changed because those influences weren't around me anymore. It was up to me. And praise God, by his grace, I didn't make any stupid decisions in college. But at the same time, I could have easily because I didn't own my faith at that point in time. It might be college. It might be the real world. Whatever it is. It could be next week. Whatever it is that God is, is going to set you out outside of the community of, of faith, are you going to crumble or are you going to stand strong? If you stand up and own your faith, if you step up and make that commitment, then you'll be able to stand strong. Paul warns as he continues about the false teachers and the doctrines that are coming, and he encourages them to um, look out for internal and external issues that might come up. He challenges them to support one another and encourage one another. And, and honestly, I still think we face a lot of the same trials today, uh, whether it be smooth presentations, charismatic speakers, lights and sound, whatever it is. It, it's easy for us to get distracted from the truth that is God's word. We need to make sure that, that the warning that Paul gave to the church is a warning we still heed today. And now all of this has been great to share, and you're like, yeah, that's fantastic. And this little catchy saying of step up and own it, what is that going to do? I need to give you some applications, some teeth to this to understand just like Paul challenged his people to step up and, and own it, we've got to do the same. So, so how can we step up and own it? It's a simple concept. It looks like, I mean, it's four words. It's not too hard. Step up and own it. I'm, I'm hopefully going to give you guys three areas where you can start stepping up and owning it in your lives. Um, because like I said, I want us to, to take this seriously and move forward. The first thing that you need to really step up and own it is to ask tough questions. We just finished the, the Burning Question series here at First Baptist, and it's been a, a really cool experience. And then I've understood that you guys did it before that, about a year ago, as far as burning questions about marriage and family. And reading through the blogs and some of the past responses and listening to previous sermons, there was some tough stuff you guys put out there. That's awesome. Congratulations on asking tough questions. You already got number one down. Look at that. The reason we ask tough questions, though, is so that we can work through these things in a scriptural context in the body and wisdom of the believers to understand what God's purpose is. If we don't ask ourselves tough questions, if we just keep our faith where it's comfortable and safe and, and flowery, then we lose, really, the depth that we're trying to get into here. 
those questions, as tough as they were, they deepened the faith of those that were willing to ask them. And they also benefited the rest of us that were able to sit through those teachings as well. So the first step in owning your faith is, is to ask tough questions. Now the second step is the one that I really personally struggled with the most when I was growing up. And it is to not run away from doubt. How many of you have doubts from time to time, spiritually speaking? Whether it be doubt of God's will or doubt of, of why God lets these things happen or, or doubt of is that really what God wanted us to deal with with this situation or is that really how God feels about this? Is doubt okay in the life of a believer? Yes? So? No? Maybe? <laughs> Absolutely. It, it, the problem is what you do with that doubt. For me, when I started dealing with doubt in my life, I ran from it, man. It freaked me out. I was gone. So when there was a situation that came up in my life that I wasn't 100% sure on, scripturally speaking, I'm like, oh, okay, I don't know. And I'd compartmentalize that off, and I'd shove it back behind, and I never would deal with it. And that was so unhealthy. What I needed to do instead was open that up and unpack this idea of doubt and figure out scripturally why I doubt, why that struggles, why that trips me up, why that causes me to fall, and then scripturally go through and rebuild that. One of my favorite classes at Anderson when I was going for seminary was our theology class. And typically theology is not the woohoo kind of thing. It is deep thought discussions and that kind of stuff. But this class in particular, Dr. Neal taught it, and he was a great discussion director. He really wasn't a teacher. He just allowed us to kind of work our way through things. And what we would do is we'd start each night with two or three topics, doctrinal big issues like resurrection, virgin birth, all these other things, and put them on the table. And we would literally be allowed to kind of pick them apart and ask why. Why is it important? Well, what about this? And there was no claims of heretics or anything like that, at least not the first part of the class. But as we continued on, we just started pulling apart these ideas of our faith and really getting down. And it was fair to ask those doubt questions and then have them answered scripturally and with the the counsel of other people that were going towards the ministry career. It was just an awesome, awesome time for me. And that class allowed me to get past this point where my doubts scared me. And now it allows your doubts to fuel you and to fuel your investigation, and allow you to dig deeper into the faith that you have. So the second aspect is not let your doubts stop you, but allow your doubts to fuel you. And the last last aspect of of stepping up and own your faith is to investigate everything. I think it's safe to have a a curious mind about everything. Scripturally speaking, world speaking, I'm one of those guys that go and Google things 30 to 40 times a day just because I want to know how things work, look up a video and how this works, and I just have a random, if I ever get on Jeopardy, I might actually have a shot. But, but I have all these things in my mind. I'm just an inquisitive guy. And I think the same is true when it comes to Scripture. We need to investigate everything. Um, if you hear something spoken um, on a radio station, something spoken on a blog, someone types something crazy about a, a belief or, or a, a passage of Scripture, investigate that thing. Look it up. Run out, man. Make sure you, you get, the, the, get to the bottom of it yourself. Don't just take their word for it. Um, I think even things that are, if anything, you're going to find out that they were right, scripturally speaking. Or you'll say, you know what? I don't believe that, and here's why. So all the doubts and all those other things, those will go away. Ask the tough questions. Investigate. But let me clarify that a little bit. Don't investigate using popular culture and opinion and these sort of things as your source material. Right? Because in, in school, it's important what source material you have. Right, Those of you that have been in school, you have good sources, you have bad sources. Like if you're trying to write a paper, Wikipedia is not the place to go. Given. It's just a bunch of people throwing stuff online and hoping it's close. When it comes to our faith, we don't need to look at Wikipedia either. We need to look at God's Word. Use Scripture as our, our source material. So investigate everything. 
God, I think, likes the inquisitive heart. He made us that way on purpose. So we looked at those three aspects. We have, first of all, is ask tough questions. Second of all, don't ignore your doubt. Instead, let it fuel you. And third, investigate everything. So now I'm going to give you guys a challenge. Are you all up for a challenge? Oh, that was sad. (laughs) I don't think you are. Are you up for a challenge? Thank you. Excellent. The challenge I want to give you guys actually comes from the search process of me coming here to First Baptist of the Islands. I have only applied at two churches in my entire life, in my ministry time, and the first one was a good experience. This one was a phenomenal experience in how the search team worked and how the search process worked. So you guys, as you see search members on the way out, give them a pat on the back. They did a phenomenal job. Um, The thing that struck me the most about this process was a questionnaire. For any of you that had anything to do with that, I still love you. It's okay. The questionnaire came in an email format, and it was five pages worth of questions. And it said, you have two weeks to get this back to us. Have fun. Um, And I'm like, great. I mean, I I read, and I I was in the middle of school at the time, too, so I was really good at typing and and could make very intelligent-sounding statements and stuff. So I was like, that's going to be great, man. I got this. So I gave myself a week to work through this questionnaire. A week and a half later, and 27 typed pages later, I finished the questionnaire. 27 pages. It blew my mind, the amount of stuff that was asked, but they did such a good job in formulating the questions. There were things that dealt with how I deal with student ministry, but the important part for me and the part that I really got from this that that still affects me, the very first part was kind of like a doctrinal statement. They asked very open-ended questions about God the Son, God the Father, God the Spirit, salvation, condition of man, all these things. And there wasn't like, a, well, what are your thoughts on in some deep theological treatise? It was just, give us your thoughts. And I would sit here and, and I was like, okay, well, well, Jesus is cool. God's all, and, you know, and, but it couldn't be that. It had to be deeper. So I started working through it. And man, I can't tell you how many pots of coffee I went through trying to work through this doctrinal statement. But it was so, so awesome. Um, because I was able to actually put on paper, in print, my beliefs and scripturally support them. I had passages that went along with them on the bottom because you can't just say, well, I believe and leave it there. You've got to have proof, right? Because your belief is only as good as your opinion at that point. When you put fact with it, scriptural fact, then it's a belief, and then it's something you can ground yourself on. And so working through this process, man, it was eye-opening to me to be able to find the evidence of the reasons I believe things. I grew up in church, man. I knew all these answers. These were easy. Until I actually started working through God's word and sifting through what he really says about things instead of what I've heard about things and what people have told me about what he says things are. Really getting into it, it absolutely changed the way I looked at some stuff. For the better, I think, because it actually aligned me more with scripture and less with popular opinion. Um, So what I'm going to challenge you guys to do (laughs) this week is to write your own doctrinal statement. Yes, you have homework now. And most of you will say, Brooks, you can never let him speak again because he makes us do homework. Yes, you have homework. What I want you guys to do is write down a doctrine, doctrinal statement, basically. Personal statement of faith. Write down your thoughts about God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about salvation, about heaven and hell, about forgiveness, about grace. Just pick one-word topics. Put those down there and then just go crazy. I would love to see like some 40-page bound novel come into the office that I get to read through this week. That would be phenomenal. I would definitely give you like a candy bar for that one. Um, But I encourage you guys to do it because I promise you, if you want to be able to step up and own your faith, doing something like that is the absolute easiest and best and most efficient way to step up and own your faith. 
because it requires you to literally own every statement that you put out there. It's not like you can say, well, I was told one time by pastor such and such that I should believe this. You say, Scripture tells me in this passage that I need to do this. And by working through that, your faith becomes your own. It's no longer hearsay. It's no longer this person or that person. It's absolutely 100% yours. It changed my focus tremendously, being able to do that. I had been in a place, and for those of you, this is about to speak some truth into the life of a pastor. There's pastors that are going through some spiritually dark times, okay? It's out there now. We're not always perfect. We don't always have the VBS moment going on in our daily day life, okay? <laughs> and there was a time in my life, man, and, and one of my goals for that year was to write down a, a statement of theology. And then as God started leading me down the path of, of coming here, this five-question, I mean, five-page questionnaire came through the email, and God used that in a way that was just amazing to ignite my heart again and, and inspire me again in some places in my life and be able to spend time developing my faith and not just taking it at face value. So my encouragement to you is to step up and own your faith. Paul called us to that. You're responsible for it yourself is what we saw in Acts 20, 26, right? And a good way to do that is sit down and put it on paper. I know it sounds kind of cheesy. It's easy now we can type it. We don't have to use like handwriting or anything. But you can type it out. Save that thing. Email it to us. We'd love to read it. Love to talk about it. Talk about it with your family, your friends. Adrian got way more of that questionnaire ran through her than she probably deserved. But that's okay. She's my wife. That's part of it. But it was awesome for us to be able to have a dialogue back and forth about the things that God was showing us through that. So I encourage you guys, write a personal statement of faith this week. That's kind of my, my challenge. Are you all going to step up to the challenge? I heard a couple. <laughs> Does it take a while to get to the back first, and then I get the yes back later? Please, please, even if you don't sit down and write it, which I would ask that you do, but if not, just think through those things. Evaluate your faith. Find out if you're in the same place that I was. It doesn't matter what age you are. If you're in middle school, going into high school, and it's rocking your world, if you're going from high school into college and things are totally different, if you're going from college into the real world, or if you've been in the real world for decades, make sure that you've stepped up and owned your faith. It will make all the difference in the call that God has in your heart, and it'll make all the difference in your life. Own your faith. Now, as the Belinda and Chris come up for the worship, I mean, for invitation, sorry, I know typically invitation, Brooks would stand out front and, and be there for whoever wants to come up and share what God is doing. And, and I'm going to be able to decide. I want to leave the, the front open for you guys. If you realize right now that you haven't stepped up and your faith isn't something that you own, it's something that you kind of inherited, this is the time to get it right. This is the time to respond to what God is doing in your heart. They're going to lead us in a little bit of worship. And just let it be a moment where you respond to what God is doing. Be open to his leading. I'll be over here on the side if you want to ask, talk, pray, whatever it is. But I'm going to leave the front open for you guys. So please come forth.